Hi, Steve Addison here for the Movements Podcast. Podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today you'll hear me speaking on everything you need to know about movements. I'm speaking to the Global Alliance for Church Multiplication, Minneapolis, in October 2017. You know, God called us to the UK uh, four, four and a half years ago. Uh, we lead, lead just a small mission agency in Australia dedicated to multiplying disciples and churches. And the wonderful thing about being in the UK is uh, we know it doesn't work here. Gospel doesn't work in the UK. It doesn't work in Europe. Uh, and you're an Australian. You know, now, now I know how the Americans feel in the rest of the world. You know, won't work here. That's, that's from America. And I still remember the first time I, I found a pastor that was willing to say, well, Steve, it's not going to work, but uh, nothing else is working, so why, why don't we just visit homes in our community? Let's just, let's just knock on 1,200 doors with nothing else. No, we're not selling anything. We're not trying to get you to come to our church. We're just wondering, is there anything we could pray for you? And he and his staff said, this will not work in Britain. You cannot invade someone's house. Uh, and 424 people welcomed prayer. Amen. And no, I mean, one or two might have been a little bit cranky that we turned up. You know, uh, you know I still remember Michelle, my wife, she, you know, there's a car pulling into the driveway I think and, and a South Asian guy our city is one third South Asian it's in the heart of England and um, he gets out and he's, you're offering prayer, he's just come from open heart surgery, <laughs> he's been released from the hospital you know I, I still remember just down in Essex you know Essex is sort of well it's Essex and um, you know, there we are, and we're just walking, one of our workers, we're just walking the streets of Essex, just, the, we call it the early offer of prayer. And, and to, there is, and there's a guy, and he says, well, this is amazing. You know, my wife's just picked me up from the hospital where I'm, I'm trying to get my medication right for depression. Uh, you see, our daughter died a year ago, and we have not recovered, and he begins to weep, and we pray for him in the street there. Um, and I thought, you know, people say, well, you've got your apostles, what is it, prophets and evangelist types, the apes, you know. They do crazy stuff like pray for people in the high street. And then you've got your pastors. They care about people. And I thought, you know what? One of the best things you could do as a pastor is just wander around your neighborhood offering to pray for people and just, just ask somebody. You know, this is what shepherds do, isn't it? The sheep, they go looking for the lost sheep. And you just ask, this is in, you know, we did this in Stockholm, in uh, that place in Scandinavia, in Sweden, and I've just forgotten, Linshoping. So it's not going to work there, you know. Um, so we're training, it was, again, it was my wife with a young Swedish woman, and they've walked between three to five minutes from the church door. We've been training all day to mobilize the Swedes for a ministry that won't work. And... Um, <laughs> So, and, the, and the girls tell me, it's not going to work. This is Sweden, you know. Uh, and, they, and they only knocked on one door and offered prayer. And the lady came out 
And uh, she said, well, this is amazing. You know, my father died, you know, six months ago. And I'm still coming to terms with it. And she welcomes them in. There's the tea. You know, not sweets aren't meant to do this. There's tea. They're in the kitchen. They're praying for her. She's weeping. And Michelle is just sharing the gospel. We have a little, little drawing called the three circles. And that, that woman is saying, can you come back again? And the girl that Michelle was training, Sarah, has, has gone back. She said, you know, I know the church is there, and I thought about visiting one time. I saw they had a course on. I was busy that time, and I thought, well, I've missed the first couple of weeks, so I'll wait till next year. So five minutes walk from the church door, and there's somebody waiting just to knock and say, could we pray for you? <laughs> you know, do you feel near or far from God? Would you like to be near? Can I show you with a little drawing how you can be near? And that worker knows what to do next. Because they don't even have to bring that lady to the church building. They can say, could we meet again and start reading the Bible together and learning how to follow Jesus? When could we meet? Where's a good place? And who else would be interested? Now, I used to feel really bad about um, the fact that this is so easy. <laughs> and nobody's, nobody, you know, we train a guy, you know, this guy's a planter, he's got the Holy Spirit, he's charismatic, and he's got the Bible, he's an evangelical, you know, he's been trained. You know, he comes to one of our trainings and three days later he's led a couple to the Lord. And I'm mad. I'm thinking, this guy's 40. You know, he knows how to lead the, someone to the Lord, but he just hasn't, no one's trained him. He's got to make it up every time. How's he going to train his people? We just, and I'm mad. I'm thinking, and then the Lord reminds me, well, what were you like eight years ago, Steve? <laughs> what were you like? Well, I was a missions leader. I'd written this incredible book on movements. You know, I'm the movements guy. And lo and behold, people are buying it. You know, it's one thing to be an author, but, you know, it's, it's a different thing to people are reading your book. That's amazing. <laughs> and Michelle, she said to me, Steve, um, your, uh, your book's amazing. And I, I tended to agree. And then... Then she said to me, but when are you going to do something? Now, guys, this is the worst moment in your life because the Holy Spirit has just spoken through your wife <laughs> and you have no comeback. And everything changed. When I moved from... I wouldn't change anything about that first book because I'd talked to practitioners, I'd studied the scriptures... I'd read everything I could on movements, multiplying movements, and political and secular movements. But nothing happens unless we do something. And I just want to take us back for the time we've got to a day in the life of Jesus. Well, it's longer than a day, but it begins with a particular day. And he hasn't done anything yet except be Jesus of Nazareth, Mary and Joseph's son, the carpenter. And there comes a day in his life 
where he's going to say goodbye to friends and family, he's going to shut up shop, and he's going to join the crowds who are headed from Galilee down into the Jordan, and he's looking for John the Baptist along with thousands of others. And they're coming to repent of their sins and to be baptized just like Gentiles. They're saying, we do not deserve to belong to the people of God. We are under the judgment of God. Flee from the wrath to come, John's teaching, and show the fruit of repentance, of righteousness in your life as a result of God's grace. Jesus is joining them. I like to think that day he was alone because it's not till after that that he begins formally recruiting disciples. Maybe he had some, some, some companions, I don't know. But I know he took that walk. And I know he didn't need to. And even before he gets to the Jordan, he's identifying, not just with rebellious Israel, but lost humanity. You know, he's not thinking, you know, uh, if I could just advise the emperor on his uh, foreign policy, you know, if we just get out the right man to replace Pilate, you know, like get our candidate up, or, you know, we've got to do something about rubbish collection there in uh, Jerusalem, or let's just push the Romans out with a civil disobedience. He's, he's not thinking about all of those important matters. He's thinking about one thing. Humanity is lost. It's far from God. It's under his judgment. Whenever I say something like that, I've had, I remember I had an Iranian come up to me once and say, you can't talk about sin, Steve, with the Persians. It's not culturally acceptable. A little while later, a Chinese guy came up to me and said, Steve, you can't uh, talk about sin with the Chinese culture. It's just not acceptable. And then I had a postmodern guy tell me how unacceptable the concept of sin and judgment was. And I said, well, there's a problem here because we get rid of that. We just don't need to cross, do we? And we have a God who does not care. He's indifferent about evil. So Jesus is there and he's looking for his cousin John. And you know the story. Um, he submits to baptism. It's amazing in the West we sort of feel like that's an additional option for us when we feel ready. And there Jesus is, he's in the water, has no need, identifying with our sin and also saying, I am willing to surrender myself ultimately to the cross in order to deal with this. And he hears the Father's word of affirmation. You know, behold, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased, the love of the Father. That echo, too, of these are words from the Old Testament. Of, you know, that here is, is Israel, his disobedient son, Hosea 11, and he's just longing to, for relationship. So Jesus stands in our place in his baptism. And then the Spirit comes upon him with power. 
And he does this to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill the word of the Lord. He's a man under the authority of the word. He's the living word. And Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the scriptures. I'm obedient to my father's word. And then the very next thing that happens, this spirit-filled, much-loved son, surrendering his life this great moment because we're now you see this is a transition remember he was jesus of nazareth carpenter son of mary and joseph and he's going on this journey and when this transition finishes his messiah messianic ministry begins he's launched onto the public stage of history so this is a boundary phase This is a transition. And what happens next? The word that one of the gospel writers uses is ekbalo. To cast out a demon. That's what you do. You cast out that demon. And the Holy Spirit casts Jesus into the wilderness to be tested by Satan for 40 days. And now, the true implications of his sonship are lived out in the wilderness. And the reason we're just sort of staying here with Jesus and his baptism and his testing is because here you have everything you need to know about multiplying movements of disciples and churches. Because this is foundation time. This is everything. You can, ta- you can take you can go all sorts of principles and strategies and great insights. They're powerless and worthless unless we camp here. And I even think you could tear out a few chapters of that book I wrote and you would still come to those principles if you camp here. So he's thrust, he's thrown into the wilderness and he's alone where is God's affirmation now and he's weak and the enemy comes and this is a work of the spirit in his life (laughs) so next time someone prays over you come Holy Spirit just run you know (laughs) he's there as the much beloved son the Messiah and he's tested the bread you know, turn bread into, what does it turn stones into bread? You know, every Messiah, every politician would love to be able to just create bread. Because bread is prosperity, bread is power. If you, go, if you can give people bread, the sustenance of life, you have power. And Jesus responds, it is written, it is written, it is written. That is his go-to line. He just keeps repeating it. The test, you know, are you going to you know, use your miraculous power to glorify yourself? I think there might be a few people on television that are in danger of that sin. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, it is written, it is written. And then why don't you just bow down and worship me and you've got, you can fulfill your mission without the cross. It is written, it is written. This is the Son of God. And he's quoting the Bible 
back at Satan. So each passage is from Deuteronomy. And he surrenders to the mission of God to die on a cross for the sins of the world that we might be reconciled to him and brought into... Because he is he's Israel in that test. He's God's son, obedient in the wilderness, unlike Israel. He's a second Adam in the garden, obedient to the living word of God. So there's just three essentials in these two foundational stories that are everything we need to know in order to reach the world. Now you can learn some other things from people's books if you want or from the rest of Scripture. I'm just saying these are the three from the life of Jesus because he is the movement pioneer here. He's founding a missionary movement that will go to the world. This is, and this is, he's about to step onto the stage of history to do that. First thing to be aware of, the living word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. He came to fulfill the scriptures, not to overturn them. God spoke and the universe was flung into existence it's not just sounds on the airwaves his word God's word is God in action this is a powerful dynamic thing and it will never pass away the scriptures are God's word but God's word is even beyond what we have in scriptures Totally compatible and all of that. And Jesus lives his life under the authority of the word. So after he rises from the dead, he gets the guys together. We've got 40 days. What are we going to do? Well, I've got the risen Lord Jesus in the room. I want to hear what he thinks, what he's going to say, and I'm going to write it down. And we've got the living word. What does he say to his guys and his girls? Let's, um, let's, let's have ourselves an Old Testament Bible study from Genesis to Malachi and I'll expound the word to you. That's what he does. From Moses, the law, the prophets and he explains things. This is the risen Lord. The trouble we're in began when our parents, our parents in Adam and Eve, said, we're going to place your, our word above your word. We know better. And the whole of the biblical story, it's the narrative of God speaking and us responding. There's no other message than that. And when God speaks, he speaks in ways we understand. You might say, well, I don't understand everything in that book. Yeah, but what do you understand? You understand enough, okay, to start obeying. <laughs> and the rest is just to keep theological co uh, professors in a job. <laughs> so 
So he's, he's a man under the authority of God's word. So if you want to see a movement, you better be under the authority of God's word. If you want to renew a mission or a denomination, you better be back in the authority of God's word. Not just as a dead letter, but as a living document. As, as God's communication to us, we are under its authority. So, when the culture changes, as it has been for the last 50 years or so, and we're sort of reinventing what it means to be human, human sexuality, marriage, all of that stuff, we're under the word. We're under the clear teaching of Jesus. His affirmation of Genesis 1 and 2. We've got nowhere else to go. It's not your view. It's not your church's view. It's, it's his view. So just live with it. So when I talk to my old guys, that I'm an old guy now, so I, I, I know guys that I'd grown up with, uh, theological professors and presidents and things, and they've decided it's a complex question what Jesus taught about these matters. And uh, it's not as clear as what he actually said, and we need to balance what he said with, you know, what he taught about love. And I've said to my friends, I've said, guys, it's, it's not complex. It's very clear. It's just hard. And if you want to see a movement in its death spiral, it's a movement that is no longer under the authority of God's living word, no matter what. No matter what. Doesn't mean you have to be nasty about it. But there's no wriggle room here. There's no wriggle room. We are not. The, this is how the problem began. Okay? There's no wriggle room. And that's how Jesus lived. So movements have got to be under the word. Jesus is a man of the Spirit. Amen? Good. He doesn't get born without the Holy Spirit. Think about it. The first witnesses to Jesus are inspired by the Holy Spirit. I mean, John the Baptist is in his mother's womb and he's leaping for joy, witnessing to the living Lord. How's that? He's preaching before he even came into the world. And this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit might do all sorts of crazy stuff, okay? But there's one unifying purpose of the Holy Spirit. He's bearing witness to the Lord Jesus. So if we want to get the job done, we have to be men and women of the Holy Spirit. And you see throughout the you know. Jesus is not walking around with an infinite brain, okay? When he meets a woman at the well, if he's going to know anything about her past life and what to say to her, he is trusting the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's not an incarnation. So just as you need to trust and depend on the Holy Spirit, Jesus did the same thing. He gave up his divine prerogatives, not his identity as God in, in human form. But it, he fulfilled his ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you better have the word. And the word isn't just a, 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 a static thing as though this is doctrine. 
This, this word is dangerous. It's, it's driving the whole uh, expansion of the gospel and of disciples and multiplying churches throughout the, the book of Acts. You look, the summary statements are all about the spread, the growth, the multiplication of the word, this living force. So if you're into the word, you're in real trouble if the only time the word gets out there is on, in, a, in a church building on Sunday morning. We don't have a single recorded example of preaching in a church in the book of Acts. All the preaching is done in the marketplace or the synagogue, you know, well, synagogue, I guess. But it, it's all out there changing lives. That's where the word goes. And so we've got the word, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And throughout the book of Acts, you've, you've read the book. <laughs> You know, this whole thing is being driven and, 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 and energized by, by the life and the power of God through the Holy Spirit. So you don't get movements without the Holy Spirit. And just as the Word cannot be contained, the Holy Spirit cannot be contained. If you think the Holy Spirit is just so you can get together and sing the songs and I have laid once on the floor and lay on the floor and do whatever else you do with the Holy Spirit, you better know. And this is Azusa Street. Within weeks, they're going to the ends of the earth. So if, the, if you're waiting around for the Holy Spirit to, to, to inspire you to go fulfill the Great Commission, you're going to be waiting a long time because he's already spoken through the Lord Jesus and you, you don't need a rhema you need, you need to obey the logos <laughs> and Jesus is a man of the spirit and he is the one who gives the gift of this amazing presence and power of God to the church in Acts so we get the job done if we have surrendered in an obedient uh, dependent way like Jesus in the wilderness to the word of God if we're dependent on the Holy Spirit and if we are ir irresolute in our commitment to the mission because Jesus chooses in the wilderness no matter what I'm going for this and I'm going to fulfill it in God's way I'm going to the cross I'm going to die for sinful humanity I'm going to rise again I'm going to fulfill it like this He's very clear about what he's doing. Everybody says, you know, what would Jesus do? And I said, why do we ask that question? Why can't we ask, what did Jesus do? And do that. That makes a lot more sense because, you know, we project onto Jesus our agenda. Of course, he would recycle, wouldn't he? <laughs> and we know, we know what position he'd have on, on, on uh, uh, gun control. I just divided the room. <laughs> so what did Jesus do? And what does that look like through the, the presence of the Spirit in our lives today? He, he made it. It's like some people are making this very complex. But you know, read the Great Commission. It's not, it isn't hard to understand, is it? This is the central command. Go make disciples of the nations. Some people say, well, it's just as you go about your normal life. Well, how are you going to make disciples of the nations if you're just going about your ordinary life in Nazareth somewhere? You know, you're going to move. You're going to go. Church is on the move. 
So you're going to make disciples. Well, how do we do that, Jesus? Well, there's some some, uh, activities that hang off that central command. Very, very clear. You go. You baptize. Oh, but that's a Baptist thing, someone once said to me. Oh, that's just a Baptist thing. I think it's a Jesus thing. You baptize. Someone comes to know Christ, you say, where can we find water? If you're in a movement, you say, where can we find water? It's their responsibility because they're going to lead someone to Christ. Great commission is not a command to be baptized, is it? It's a command to be a baptizer. Every disciple. That's the only New Testament qualification to baptize someone. You are a disciple. Ananias, he's a disciple. Cornelius' house. Peter's going to tell the believers who came with him to baptize. He's not going to baptize. Typically, leaders don't baptize in the New Testament. But baptism assumes repentance, gospel repentance and faith. And baptism, Acts 2.38, is just one aspect of a whole multifaceted experience. You repent, you believe, your sins are forgiven, the Holy Spirit comes and you're baptized. That's what it means. So you're baptizing. Now you're teaching them. Very complicated activity. But you're not teaching them. No one's commanded to teach anyone. They're commanded to teach them to obey. Someone said, well, that sounds like Christian Sharia law. (laughs) Well, you don't have a problem with me. You have a problem with what Jesus said. What did Jesus command? Well, repent and believe, love one another. (laughs) You know, be united with me, believe in me. And discipleship is a very simple, and I'm not saying easy, but simple. It's teaching someone to obey Everything Jesus has commanded. One step at a time. That's how you disciple someone, with the living word of God. What's it say? What do we need to do? Let's report back in next time. That's how you make a disciple. At its irreducible elements. So Jesus is really clear. And then he gives this promise. I'm going to, if you do these things, I'll be with you to the end of the age. And the thing that changed me as an armchair you know, expert on mission into a practitioner was you meet Jesus in the harvest. That'll change you. You see what he does. We could go out today and you come back a, a, in a, within an hour. We would have stories across this room. And people would be blown away. You're saying, no way, Steve. I don't want to do that sort of stuff. Well, I was just like you once. Why are we stuck then in this missional fog? Why is the Western church for a hundred years has been debating, redefining, conferencing, changing what it means to obey the Lord Jesus and his command to go to the nations and make disciples. I call it the missional fog. Because once mission, this is Leslie Newbegin, once mission becomes everything, it becomes nothing. And there is a lot of fruit of the spread of the gospel. Okay? Cities can be transformed. 
Uh, communities can be healed. All of those sorts of things. Justice can be established. But there is only one gospel. And once, and I've read this from a, an outstanding New Testament scholar, you know, uh, it's, it's going from the worship into uh, you know, uh, the, council ch- the political local council and, and we're going to fix traffic flow and green zones and all of this stuff. And then he says, and this is central. This is central. And I'm thinking, no, it's not central. It's nice when we get it. And in Western society for maybe 100 years, we've been getting it. God blessing the society through transformation of the gospel. Okay? Let's take you to North Korea. Which cities are you going to transform there? Because the pattern in the scriptures is... The only cities that are transformed by the gospel are transformed into riots. There is no promise that you're going to fix the world or that you're going to change the temperature of the planet. Now, can and does the gospel lead to transformation? Yes. But once you make societal transformation the center of your mission and the gospel itself, you've lost everything. There's only one gospel, there's only one mission. It's very clear. It's not complex, it's just hard. But Jesus says, the same Jesus who won this victory in the wilderness, he stands for us. And he says, I want to bring you into my victory. I want to bring you into my mission. I want to bring you into my purposes and I will not just, you know, guilt you into this. I want to promise you as you obey me, word, spirit, mission, as you obey me, grace will come because I will be with you always. <laughs> 